Good morning and uh, welcome. Thanks for coming out in the rain. And it'll be worth it to study the book of Hebrews. Let's, let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the chance to gather around your word, to fellowship, to pray, to hear the word of God, to encourage one another, to seek you, and Lord, to preach the gospel. We ask you to be with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we are studying in the book of Hebrews and in chapter 4. Last week we spent quite a bit of time talking about verse 12, about the Word of God. It says, The Word of God is living, active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It's piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of choice and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. The idea is that God's Word penetrates our very soul, and the idea, if we, as we see in verse 13, is that He sees all things, including our, our motives. And that should show us our need for a Savior. And also point out, because this idea that God sees everything and that what he sees is our own sin leads into the idea that we have a high priest who is uh, in the heavens, who has paid for our sins and who can understand our weaknesses and then we can come to the throne of grace. Okay? So, that's a little overview. Now let's begin our study. Verse 13 is where we are today. It says this, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. This is discussing God's uh, omniscience. God knows all things. God sees all things. And the implication is that no, none of us can ever hide our sinful motives or anything from God because he sees all. And it gives us the idea of total vulnerability. Unless God's a merciful God, we're in big trouble. Does that make sense? Because we can look good to people outside and put on a nice religious show, but we can never fool God. It's also saying if you have a good actions on the bad motives so I can help this person because I want to look good it doesn't count either you can, you can yep. look past the good motive or good actions to see the bad motives and you still have both right and so the, the implication is that we're going to need some kind of help because we're in trouble this is not a comforting verse, the comfort comes in the next few verses, then we have a high priest this verse shows us why we need a high priest uh, I was going to Here we go. I had a quotation from this William Lane, his commentary on Hebrews is just fabulous, by the way. Absolutely fabulous. Here's what he says, William Lane. An impression of the total exposure and utter, utter defenselessness in the presence of God is sharpened in verse 13. Nothing in creation is hidden from God's sight. And this was a commonplace idea in ancient Judaism. The surveillance predicated of God is exhaustive. Nothing escapes his scrutiny. The images of nakedness and helplessness 
express uh, vividly the plight of anyone who believes he can deceive his creator and judge. In context, the force of verse 13 is to assert that the exposure to the word of scripture entails exposure to God himself. I think, as we ran out of time last week, I was mentioning something that I heard at seminary from the therapeutic world. And the suggestion was made that this kind of verse here and this sort of teaching is damaging to the psyches of people, and therefore evangelical Christianity is psychologically damaging, and people need therapy when they grow up because they grow up with this idea that God's all-seeing eye is watching them, and it makes them feel very vulnerable. Now, I heard that, and I wrote a letter to the dean suggesting that that kind of teaching shouldn't be coming into the seminary. And I, um, what that is doing is escaping the point of this. The point of this isn't to make us paranoid, but the point is to drive us to the throne of grace. The point is to show us our need for a savior. I brought this up on the radio a week ago Saturday when we were interviewing John MacArthur, and I mentioned to him this issue of people saying that the gospel, just as it is, is psychologically damaging. And I hadn't heard this, but he said he was sued for 10 years and ended up before the Supreme Court on this very issue. Somebody said that the gospel that John MacArthur preaches is, uh, had caused their son to commit suicide, and therefore he ought to be liable. And he ended up being exonerated in front of the Supreme Court, but after 10 years of being tied up in a legal system. So, uh, I hadn't heard that story, but it was interesting what he had to say. But we can't allow that sort of intimidation to keep us from preaching the gospel. Because the gospel is the only means by which anybody's going to be saved. And we, we're better off to risk being considered um, unpolitically correct or mean or whatever they think this is. But if you read the whole story, it's, it's nothing but merciful. Amen. It's just the fact that God does see all things is true. And if it makes us a little concerned about where we're at, that's okay as long as it leads you to the gospel. Yes. It's like saying that it's not kind to tell someone who thinks they can go across the desert without any water if they can't do it. <laughs> it's a good point, Carl. It's actually more compassionate to tell the truth, isn't it? How many people kill themselves because of hell? Like Minsky's philosophy and on and on. Yeah. They just uh, reject God. Well, let's look up some cross-reference. Hi, I don't know your name, but, you don't, uh, but welcome to our citizen class. What's your name? Peter. Peter, welcome. Dan, 1 Samuel 16, 7. Dean, 2 Chronicles 6.30. 2 Chronicles 6.30. Leif, Psalm 44.21. Kara, Psalm 90 and verse 8. Uh, Stephan, Jeremiah 17.10. No, you don't have a Bible? Okay, Jeremiah 17.10. Let's do those and then we'll do some Old Testament ones. I mean, New Testament ones also. Okay, Dan. Uh, 1.16.7, 1 Samuel. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For a man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. That's where that passage comes from. 
That's a very famous passage. Man looks in the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And as a matter of fact, we can't know somebody else's heart or thoughts. Yep. That's always interesting. I've had a lot of people talk about that. Well, your heart is this way. They kind of, when they say that and claim to know in your heart, that uh, they're actually claiming God's position and not content with looking on the outward appearance. I don't think we ever look at someone's heart. We can only judge by the outward appearance. That's why we have to judge by the fruits, because we can't see the unseen. We can't see hidden motives. And that's very uh, much reiterated throughout the Bible. In fact, in Acts, God is called the heart knower. And, it's, and that's something that's uniquely true about God. And that's, I've used that argument against some of these inner healing doctrines that have been popular for the last 30 years. Because they claim that one person can learn enough about somebody else's heart to go in there and fix it. And, and as a matter of fact, we can't really know our own hearts perfectly. Because we can be self-deceived. So, so only God is ultimately the heart knower, and we have to turn our own hearts over to God, and we have to trust Him for others. We can't claim to have that knowledge. So, that's that's a very good passage. Yeah. So that reminds me of the Happy Hunters. I don't know if anybody ever remember them. They were a top Pentecostal healing team at one time in the country. I went to one of the meetings, and, and everybody was coming forward because they would give you a new heart. They're going to give you one. Yeah, that's what you come forward and get a new heart. <laughs> so I'm just saying, uh, that's been going on for a long time. Give you no heart. Well, that's why we need to uh, know these scriptures. Amen. I mean, the, the, the best defense people have against uh, deception is the thorough knowledge of the scriptures. Amen. And if you know these things, then somebody comes along with this kind of thing, you know, you, you know right away it's not a valid claim. Okay, uh, what is uh, two Chronicles six thirty? Six thirty. Then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive and render unto every man according to his ways, whose heart thou knowest, for thou only knowest the hearts of children and of men. There is a, that's the verse right there we need. Only God knows the hearts. Amen. Only God does. Wow, i got to remember that one. Dean, don't let me forget that verse. Don't forget that verse. <laughs> <laughs> next, time, next time I read an article and I deal with that, i got to have that verse. Uh, okay, uh, it's on 44.21. Would not God find us out, for he knows the secrets of the heart. Okay, he would, wouldn't he? Mr. Rob, what verse was Psalm 44:21 that Leif just read, and then the next one is Psalm 90 in verse 8. Verse 8 or verse 9? Well, if 9 is good, you can read that too. <laughs> We're very open-minded as long as it's a Bible verse. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your purity, and finished our years like a sigh. The secret sins are in God's light. And then Jeremiah 17.10. I, the Lord, search the heart, test the mind, even to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. So God tests the heart. One of the reasons the Bible gives that only God can be the judge is because he's the only one that has the information necessary for judgment. You know, when we set ourselves up as judge, we don't, there's things we don't know. We can make wrong judgment. All we're supposed to judge is the external actions when we don't have the information to do 
Yeah. Yeah, we don't know any more than that. We can see that certain teachings are, are wrong or certain actions are sinful, but we, we don't know the motives. Oh. Yes, Dean. I think oftentimes, I refer to your comment a little earlier, oftentimes in my life I will not judge a person internally, although I may indicate that I can, but I'm discerning the behavior and I just express myself. I can't see the heart, but I can see the behavior. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I can tell if that behavior is of the Lord or not. It's just in expressing myself, perhaps I don't do that correctly all the time. Well, there's also, I mean, there's certain things that give really strong evidence of bad motives. Right? If somebody's lying about something in order to make an advantage for themselves, it's not too hard to... Like, I remember, remember this Bob Tilton that used to be on? Yes. The guy that would get all these rebel, you know, he'd be on there, and he always, he had one sermon, he preached it over and over again, and that was the widow and Elijah. And he was Elijah, and all the poor people in America were the widows, and if they'd give him his, their money, and then, I was watching him one time back in the 80s, and he was, he was giving prophecies to people, and it would be, the Lord told me that so-and-so has a bad back or whatever, and, uh, they're supposed to send a hundred dollars. Okay. Well, then one time he was doing it was always a hundred dollars. One time he was going into his little spiel where he's prophesying, and he goes, "There's someone out there that has a really big need, and the Lord is saying a thousand dollars." And then he goes, "Did I say a thousand dollars?" Oh. And then he goes back and goes, "Now, uh, I I can't say I know his motives, but isn't it very suspicious?" Well, not just that they, they, they caught somebody with a mic in the bathroom yeah. that was uh, radio and listening to people in the bathroom uh-huh. ahead of time to get their words of knowledge. Yeah, yeah so when you, some of the, so there's certain things that would show that there's bad motives because of the external thing that's going on. But we can't directly see the heart. Yeah. Robert, Robert Tilton has a ministry out, out of Texas, but for some reason they do a broadcast out of uh, Southern California and San Diego. And they were at one time advertising for uh, part-time graphic artists, and I went to apply for it. And I didn't know who it was. It just said graphic artist in the paper. And I drove into their parking lot, and I said, boy, I'm in the wrong place. And I walked inside, and I found out what the ministry was all about, but I turned around and walked out. But when I drove into the parking lot, and I knew something was wrong. Every car in the parking lot, except for mine, was Mercedes. Oh. Everyone? Except for mine. Oh. <laughs> well, you should have gotten the job, but he could have had a That was your big chance, Dean. And then the opposite is uh, like the Lord. They judge his outward appearance as being a Sabbath breaker and a wine bearer. So a lot of people that want to serve the Lord sincerely, like pastor, may be judged on outward appearances from other uh, fake preachers as a horrible man. Or you want to go out to the talk to uh like the preacher told him, you can't go back and talk to them Catholics. Once you went on, you got to stay away from that crowd. No. You know, I said to him, when you're on a safe ship, which is salvation, you're on a salvation ship, like they souls saved by water and days of Noah, you're not afraid to go over there to the sinking ship and start throwing some life jackets. You know, you don't sit there all together happy, and then he tells me not to go back. So I, I hear so young, or you can't talk to the prostitute. You can't be associated. Isn't that what Jesus got condemned for? In the ministry on the street, you can't get a bigger ministry than that. They say these guys got big ministries, 5,000 people. 
Big deal. All there is a hundred, couple hundred million. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dan, Dan, you're going to be there when we go out on the streets. <laughs> we need you. All right, we will be going out on the streets very soon. Next month is um, street ministry out here. So, uh, okay, I had some New Testament verses. Keith, could you look up Romans two sixteen? And I'm sorry, I can't remember your name next to Keith. Troy. Troy. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. And Mr. Knudsen? North. 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 2 Corinthians 5, 10. Okay, Keith. Romans 2, 16. <coughs> On that day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. It's interesting he says according to the gospel. So the gospel includes... The Gospel of Paul includes the judging of yeah. Christ Jesus, by Christ Jesus. Future judgment is part of the Gospel. And it was preached by Jesus and the Apostles. Amen. And which has kind of fallen out of uh, favor in a lot of modern preaching. But Jesus preached about future judgment and he did so to people that were lost. And uh, why should we not preach that? And Paul, yeah, it's interesting. It's Romans 2.16 includes, it says that's part of the gospel. So very good. Um, 1 Corinthians 4.5. 1 Corinthians 4.5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to, the, to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel of the hearts, then each one's praise will come from God. Yeah, so at the judgment, the... the Counsels or purposes of the heart are revealed. And then we have 2 Corinthians 5.10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in, in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Okay. There's a judgment seat of Christ that also, uh, for believers, I believe that's for believers, the judgment seat of Christ. Yeah. One more on 1 Corinthians 4. Uh, six, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, just as you, we also told you before and solemnly warned you. So that's how he preached. Yeah, the God is the avenger. That's pretty scary. But it's also helpful to know that because we tend to think if we get ripped off now, we have to. We don't get our justice that all is lost. But we need to remember that this isn't the final story, what happens here. A lot of people are defrauded in this world. Amen. Amen. We have plenty of injustice. And, uh, but God is the final avenger. And it also is reason for not taking up the sword. It's, you know, vengeance advice of the Lord. Amen. Okay, well, let's, let's now go to the answer here. Now we know all things are laid bare before God. We're in big trouble. Let's see if there's an answer. Right. Uh, verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let's, let us hold fast to our confession. And so, the great hope that we have is our high priest Jesus, who passed through the heavens. Why do you think it suggests that he passed through the heavens? What's that a reference to? Is it his resurrection from to the third heaven, the right hand of God? 
Yeah, that's what it's about. But why is he telling about it in this context of Hebrews? I think I think he's making a contrast with the high priest who's just here on earth as a sinner. Talking about the, the heavenly temple compared to the earthly. Yeah, that's what I think. Because in mean, the bigger context, he he introduces themes that come out later in Hebrews, right? And later, there's all the direct discussion. These things were earthly. These were temporary. They had all these trappings. And we have a sinner for a high priest who has to atone for his own sins. And he goes into an earthly sanctuary. Whereas Jesus is better because, number one, he's not a sinner. He didn't have to atone for his own sins. Number two, he didn't go into the earthly tabernacle. He went into the heavenly one. Number three, his atonement was once for all rather than every year. And, and number four, he perpetually lives to make intercession for us. So there's all kinds of reasons that we'll, we'll learn here in Hebrews why Jesus is superior. Because the, they were being tempted to go back to the earthly one. And I'm going to point that out, that this is nothing new. I'm going to point out what happened in Exodus. But uh, people want, they want a mediator that they can see, that they can talk to. Uh, and so they're tempted to get one down here. That's why there's still, I think that's why there's still priesthood in the Catholic Church. Amen. Because we like to have somebody that we think is holy that can go to God for us. And if we think that we just have direct access to the true Holy One, Jesus Christ, well then you have to do that by faith. You have to see Him. Yes. Yes, Maybe referring back to chapter 1, 2, when he's talking about the angelology, you know, when Jesus passed through the heavens and went above and beyond and over all the all the angelicals to be to be there and it's talking about his authority and that yeah that's mentioned several times in the New Testament that he that he it even says he preached to the imprisoned spirits and uh, he he uh, triumphed over the principalities and powers and authorities that's gone beyond them to the very throne of God and therefore we're seated with him in the heavenly places meaning we're not under we don't have to fear the stoichia the hostile powers. Here's what Lane says. His greatness is expressed in the language of transcendence. He passed through the heavens to the presence of God. The implied reference to the heavenly sanctuary provides yet another dimension to the discussion of the place of rest in 4, 1 through 11. Jesus' high priestly ministry is the guarantee that God's people will celebrate the Sabbath in his presence. So, uh, rest, Sabbath rest is promised because we have him also. In the heavenly. So, there's a lot of dimensions to this. What about this confession? Let us hold fast our confession. In the scholarly circles, obviously there is a reference to the fact that we confess our belief in the gospel. Amen. But there's some question about whether this confession was a literal confession that the early church repeated at, at their meetings. Um, there are several of such things in the New Testament that uh, Paul has little brief mentions of that they already had things that they confessed, sort of like the Apostles' Creed, or even earlier. And so that's a possibility. Perhaps a formulation of the faith that was repeated by Christians whenever they gathered. Um, here's a couple passages. Dick and Joanne, we missed you back there. Uh, Hebrews 10.21. Uh, Dick and Joanne, Hebrews 13.20. 10.21? Yes. 
And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, I'll do 22 also, let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So that's a, that's the same Greek word for great here, and it's a qualification of excellence. The qualification of excellence. So great high priest, not just a high priest, a great high priest. And then 1320 also uses that phrase great. Now the God of peace who brought us up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. Yeah, so it's, again here, great is a qualification of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a qualification of excellence. All right, Daniel, Acts 1.11, and Judith, Romans 8.34. And uh, Mrs. Knudsen, what's your name again? Adora. Okay, Hebrews 9.12. Hebrews 9.12, okay. And Diane, Hebrews 10.23. Romans 8.34. Okay, Acts 1.11. They also said, Mount Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who, you, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Yeah, the idea is that Jesus bodily ascended to heaven and that's how he's going to return. Now, he's there. Bodily. Romans 8.34 Who is the one who condemned? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So there's another claim that Jesus is at the right hand of God, that he intercedes for us, and therefore we cannot be condemned. Amen. No condemnation. Yeah. This is, I think this concept of Jesus being at the right hand of the Father is it's not an accident. It's repeated dozens and dozens of times in the New Testament. And as I've said before, one of the reasons for that is that if Jesus is bodily ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father and is, is carrying out his high priestly ministry on our behalf, then these so-called Christs that show up in the face of the earth are imposters. Amen. Yes. Whoever, Dean, go ahead. He's also, excuse me. He's also seated at the right hand of the Father, which means his work is done. Yeah, that's implied. That he, and it's also, I think, the idea of the throne. Seated on the throne. Yeah. I think that when you start talking about spiritual Christ, or spiritual Jesus, is like Jose Silva in the text we had, or some of the stuff we were reading in that boy's new book, seeing is believing, experiencing Jesus spiritually and internally. When when you when you look for a bodily Jesus that doesn't have scars that doesn't have a body, you're seeing him spiritually. It's a weird thing. It's not the Jesus that's sitting at the right hand right. of God the Father. Yeah. It's not even the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies to the one that's sitting at the right hand of God. The exactly. I and I'm writing some articles on that. So I was working on this one on uh, the dangers of divination. I started working on it this week, and I got to get back to the seminary. One thing about writing in the seminary, you end up with a lot more footnotes. <laughs> because I'm, I'm looking at something, I wonder what this means, and then all the books are right there, so I go find them, and I found some interesting uh, quotations about divination and what all they did to try to gain spiritual information. But the scripture is really clear on this. If Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, then all these mystical experiences that people claim 
or uh, Jesus or these the Christ Spirit or the Anointed Ones. They're all false, and that's and that's uh, for our protection to know that. Okay, uh, Hebrews nine twelve. I have that. Okay. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Wow. Once for all. Yeah. Once for all. Once for all. Amen. Amen. Once you know that, and that's what's so important. And that, and that puts the end of all world religions that believe in work salvation. He, Jesus did it once for all. Needing another Christ to do it one more time. Well, these inner healing uh, doctrines are trying to find some mystical experience that's going to do something that they claim the gospel didn't do for them. Uh, and I think these claims are false. By the way, the DVD came back from that conference out at the Fergus Falls Seminary, and they did a fantastic job making this DVD. So we're going to go into production. But that whole Theophosic thing does the same thing. That Theophosic ministry is doing the same error. They're, they're saying the gospel doesn't really solve your problem. Now you need some new revelation about what's going on. So anyway, we'll have a DVD available that will be a very useful tool for people that will have trouble with that stuff coming into their church. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold unswervingly the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Hold unswervingly, I can't say that, to the hope we profess. So our hope is in God through the gospel, and the reason we have confidence is we have a faithful high priest who is seated at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us, and has already made atonement and redemption of sins once for all. There's so many applications to this. I was on Joyce Harley's show, I think it was a lot. When was that? Man, time's flying by. Was that just this week? Yeah, Tuesday I was out on Joyce Harley's radio show with Brian Flynn talking about some of this stuff. There were these really weird websites that somebody emailed Joyce and she wanted us to come out and talk about it, which we did. And I brought up this stuff from Hebrews. The interesting thing about a couple of these websites, one of them was for, for anywhere from 5 to $40 a month, you can have this prophet interpret your dreams. Okay? They got a prophet. He's going to be speaking here in the Twin Cities. Uh, and, and he is um, the master dream interpreter, and you get for a certified dream interpreter. So now, I mean, who needs occultists with Christians like this? Right? It's just simply occult. Well, so we were talking about that on our show, and then this other one is called Extreme Prophetic. And there's this person who the Lord told her to change her name to King because she is like this ruler, all right, and, and she has all these personal revelations. And, when, and what they're saying, what they're saying is, and they, and they can say they believe the gospel. In fact, the one has a fairly orthodox statement of faith on the website, but that's not what they preach. That's not what they teach. They're saying that you can get closer to God. And so Joyce was asking us, well, what's wrong with people wanting to be closer to God? Why, why would you guys be against that? And I said, well, because the deception is, is that it denies that Christ has brought us as close to God as we can get, until he returns. That, because it says uh, in Hebrews that we draw near to God through Messiah, who is right in the very presence of God interceding for us. And we've drawn, we've entered the holy place through the blood, of, because the veil's torn in two, and through the blood of atonement. It says, well, how can you possibly get closer to God? And so being how you can't get closer to God without dying or Christ returning, 
anybody that's promising to make you closer to God through some other means besides what we've already had is selling you bill nuts. Not the once for all. Amen. Yeah, exactly. You, they don't have anything to offer. But see, we're so superstitious. We believe that there are these holy people that are really close to God. And if we could just have them lay hands on us, some of them would rub off, and then we'd feel closer to God. Or, like, this person has this hotline to heaven, and so God wouldn't answer my prayers if I prayed. But, boy, if, they, if I could get through to that person, God would listen to them. And we're assuming that there are all these uh, layers of intermediaries between us and God that we need. And this doctrine that's taught clearly in the book of Hebrews is the antidote to any of these deeper life teachings that claim that there's some process that will get you closer to God besides what we've already been given. And more people go into air trying to get closer to God than they do trying to get into sin because they're already sinners. Amen. Yes. Really what they're saying, in a sense, they're not lying. They're saying we can get you closer to God, the God of this age. Satan, that's the God you're going to get close to. And they're not lying because they will bring you closer to the God of this age, but not to Christ. Because they preach in his name these false prophets and God says, I don't know you. The God of this age is really working today. That's the God they're going to get you close to. He can look like Jesus. He can talk like Jesus. He can do it all. Mary, the saints, anything you want. The God of this age, Satan, that's who they're drawing you to. It's sad. Well, you, you know, Dan, one of the things that I'm going to try to prove in this article on the, on the dangers of divination is that deceptive spirits are very good at what they do. Amen. And, if, and they know what people are looking for and what they want. And so if they imagine that this would be what being spiritual looks like, that's the experience you get. And we don't have the capability as, uh, as humans to just have all these undefined experiences and then we're able to sort out which ones are from God just by how they feel or, or the fact they happen in a religious context. So we have to have objective means of discernment. Amen. And so if we were content in our relationship to God through Jesus Christ, you know, we believe these passages very uh, literally, then somebody comes along and has a seminar, come to my seminar, and you're going to have experience, and once you have the experience, then you're going to be close to God. They wouldn't be offering. Why would you go? What are they going to give you? Right. You know? They don't have anything to offer. Yes, the gospel has it all. The scary thing is that if that's the way you're getting closer to God, he's bad, because you're meeting him as a judge, you don't have any covering. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, let's go to verse 15. Here's a double negative. I guess it's okay in the Bible, but we don't get to do that. All right, double negative. Dick wouldn't let me get by with it. <laughs> He's called me on that more than once. He's a proofreader. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So the double negative uh, means what? We do have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Right? The word sympathize, that's literally the word in the Greek. The Greek word uh, is the one that became our English word. And uh, so he is able to feel uh, with us the feelings of weaknesses and temptation because he did feel weaknesses and temptation. But there's a qualifier. It's an important qualifier, and that is yet without sin. 
So, the author of Hebrews wants us to know that Jesus went through what we went through. It's not like he is this cold-hearted judge who can't figure out how anybody would be ever tempted to be sin, to sin. But he is a compassionate high priest who, who came and lived bodily on the face of the earth, who suffered insult, who suffered temptation at the hands of Satan, who went through the weaknesses and toils and tribulations that we go through, and yet overcame them. And so as we're coming to him, we should uh, realize we're coming to him as that, as the high priest who had suffered. And therefore, he's compassionate and approachable. He's not this steely-eyed judge who says, what's wrong with you when you come to him on his terms? We come up to, to him on his terms through the blood atonement. He is sympathetic to the fact that we're weak Sinners. Now, the reason this, one reason in the context, the literary context here, is that there's a false, possible false implication that the author of Hebrews wants to deal with before it's even brought up. And that false implication is that because Jesus is in heaven, we don't have access to him. Because, you know, he passed through the heavens. And so the Hebrews, they can, they would not see a high priest. They have one literally. This is before 70 A.D. They can go to Jerusalem and they can see all the robes and the garments and the pomp and circumstance and you know this high priest doing the things that they do and making the sacrifices. That's very impressive. The temple, the second temple was very impressive. Herod had helped them rebuild that and it made it into a beautiful thing. And to go to that temple would be an awesome experience. And to see the high priest would be a tremendous thing. And so, Jesus in the heavens is unseen. Maybe we can't even go to him. Maybe we'd be bothering him too much. But this guy, we can see him. He's very impressive. Let's just go back to that. That's what they were being tempted. And so, what the author of Hebrews wanted to do is saying, even though he's in the heavens, don't, make, don't let that fool you to think he's not accessible. Amen. You have, you have instant access Amen. to the throne of grace even though you could maybe only go see the high priest if you got lucky. <laughs> you know, he, 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 because there would be too many people wanting his attention. But Jesus is om- omniscient. And he can hear the prayers simultaneously of all the different people all around the world. I've used this when I uh, preached the gospel to Catholics before, by the way. Because they, they have a, a similar misunderstanding. The book of Hebrews would really help them if they would take it to heart. Because they have this idea that Jesus is too busy for them. That's right. And that he's kind of maybe, you know, trying to go to him is like going too far up the ladder. It's like if you got a problem with your Cheerios, you call the CEO of General Mills, you know. It's like <laughs> you're jumping through too many rungs here. you got to start with the receptionist. And so, uh, and so Mary seems a little more accessible. You know, she's a, yeah, and so... And so what I've said to some Catholics, and I gave them something to think about. I mean, one of them even tried to come up with an answer to this. But I said, isn't Mary a human being? You're not claiming she's a deity, are you? No, 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 we're not claiming that. We're not claiming that. There's just about any Catholic that knows anything that say, no, we're not claiming that. So, okay, so if she's a human being, then she's not omniscient, is she? All-knowing? She's not omnipresent, is she? No. She's just finite. In heaven. So let's say there are 
300,000 Catholics right at the moment praying to Mary. How is she sorting out this information? If she, what's that? She's really good. She's really good. <laughs> Is that what they say? I had one guy that I was debating on emails as Catholic. I said, well, what you don't realize is that maybe, how do, how do you know how much grace God, maybe God gave her enough grace to hear a million prayers at once. Or something. That's, I mean, they come up with the answers like that. But it, it seems to me that you'd have to have the attribute of deity, not only to hear that many prayers, but to have the wisdom to answer them. And so it, it doesn't make sense. The same argument that's been given to the Hebrews here would be very helpful in witnessing to Roman Catholics. And that is that all these intermediaries are unnecessary if you have access to the throne of grace. Because there you are going to an infinite God who has paid the penalty for sins. He's a merciful Savior because he's tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He can sympathize with our weaknesses because he suffered in Gethsemane. He was, he was uh, cruelly treated. He was mocked and ridiculed. And he went through worse suffering, li- literally, than we do because he was the, unjustly being treated this way. And if you have access to the throne of one so compassionate, so powerful, so loving, so merciful, who has, always has your best interest in mind, but you can't count on him from anybody else, um, and you go to some lesser being don't you think you're insulting God? Amen. Amen. What do you think of that? Amen. That's a good way to explain it. Well, yes. Just a comment from the Catholic side. This will fire Dan up. I'm a little afraid of that. <laughs> Dan, restrain yourself. Just <laughs> a simple thing. They would take the perspective of basically Cana at the wedding. Yes. And it was basically that you can't go to Christ because he's, the judge has got too much power. He's unreachable. He went to, you know, go to his mother. And so they take that whole thing to the end. They don't realize they're giving her omniscience. Yeah, well, she, but it, she could do that because it was, she was one person answering one question on the face of the earth. They don't think of it that way. Well, they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I understand. All right, James. It wasn't, it wasn't all that long ago I, I heard that there was a movement within the Catholic Church to deify Mary. And it did go to the Pope. And the Pope was put in a position, however I answer this, I'm going to split the church. Because if he answered yes, then, then the people that believed in Jesus only would leave the church. And if he answered no, then the people that believed in Mary would leave the church. So he just let it sit. So, no, he gave an answer that Jesus was, was the only deity. However, there's, there's a lot of these... Uh, truck and car uh, decals of Mary you see everywhere. I see them everywhere. But it's closely connected to Mary worship. Okay. Down in the Caribbean they have Santa Maria, which is a combination of Mary worship and, and, uh, and voodoo. So Mary is very high on the list of many people. Okay. Actually, the Pope carries stuff on in his person. He credits Mary for saving him when he got shot. And uh, the message is a fathom, and he carries personal things on him, like this maybe this special scapular that he will get to heaven through Mary. So, what do you expect from the Catholics when the Pope himself is uh, put everything on Mary? So, like I say again, it's our Father who art in heaven, not our Father who art in Rome. Pray for his soul. So much for all the Catholic visitors to our website. <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> okay, uh, Jim. Could you look up and read Exodus 32 and verse 1? I want, to, I want to show you an analogy. And see, what we're talking about here is human nature, and that's why we need these mitigating influences of the Scripture. It's human nature to want intermediaries. That's right. Amen. Yeah, all religions have them. You have your shamans. You, there's got to have a holy man standing between you and God. That's what man wants. And when they don't have it, they, they get very disgusted. Now, look at what happens when Moses didn't come back right away. Exodus 32, 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Right. I, what I'm interested in is the motivation there. Okay, already, in, in Exodus 19, what, what was there? I will make you a kingdom of priests. That's what the promise was. Exodus 19. What was the reaction to the people? No way. He was Aaron. <laughs> well, yeah, they didn't want to be a kingdom of priests because they, they didn't want to go before God because he was going to kill them. They didn't want to have anything to do with the mountain, the fire, the presence of God. They said, no, no, no. Uh, have somebody else go. And so Moses went. All right? Now, so they wanted Moses as their intermediary, which is okay because he was the mediator of that covenant. Okay, but when Moses didn't come back down right away, they felt vulnerable. They didn't have any intermediary they could see. But we don't know what happened to Moses. He didn't come back. So get us somebody else. Okay, how about a golden calf? That'll do. <laughs> In other words, it doesn't matter as long as we can see it and handle it and it's accessible to us. So golden calf will serve in Moses' absence. Because we don't know what happened to Moses. Now, that temptation to have to have a man or something even less than a man, an idol, that's, you know, dumb, as it says in the Old Testament, is behind the religious inclinations of the fallen race of sinners. Amen. And they'll always arise. Amen. Now, therefore, I, what do we need to be aware of? Well, for number one, we need to avoid that. In other words, we need to avoid taking on any, no preacher or anybody should ever make people think they can get closer to God by coming to us. Or institution. Amen. Institution is the same. Yeah, making anything that people, you feel like you got to go through these steps to get to God. Because we, we, the argument is that you can't get any possible, you can't possibly get closer to God than you're going to get through the high priest Jesus Christ. You can't get closer to the throne of grace. You can't find a better way to have your prayers answered. You, can, you know, there isn't anything better than this high priest, whoever lives to make intercession for us, who is sitting in the very presence of God, who empathizes with our weaknesses, and delights to hear us. Amen. So, uh, Benny Hinn can't replace that. Didn't you, Keith has a story about a guy that you ran into at a meeting who was going around the country trying to get his hands laid on by all the great preachers because he thought it would make it. Yeah, there's a revival going on down in this place called Smithton. My dad took me down because he wanted to go see it. It's a little church and you had to stand in line for, unless you got there two hours ahead of time, you were never going to get in, which meant that it was really good. So, 
we were standing there, and this guy was saying, I took time off work to come here. I had to go check out the anointing. And I, I, I love the anointing. And uh, I've been prayed for by Ben Hinn twice. And, and he was kind of there judging the anointing of how strong it was. Of, of how strong it was. And it was, I was just sitting there watching all this. It was, it was kind of amazing uh, goings on. And we were sitting in this little alley. And this is a house in Missouri. There's a little church in Missouri, and there's a house across the alley. And uh, they've been having these revival meetings for six months or years. A long, long time. People coming every day from all over the country because that's where God was. And there's a group of ladies, I think it was from Minnesota, actually, that were standing on this lady's lawn by her garage. The lady came out of the house and walked calmly across the lawn and said, please, could you stand in the alley because this is private property. And uh, she had little signs, you know, please stay off the lawn. Imagine being next to a church where you're doing this every single day, day in and day out, for months. And she's just kind of wondering, and there's people that you going to come to the meeting tonight and meet God? She goes, well, thanks, I, I have enough of God. And the, the, the crowd, these crowd of these ladies are just giving her heck for kicking them off the, off the lawn. And they talk to me about this anointing. And here's this person living in the, the vicinity, just trying to be calm, kind and calm, and the whole crowd is giving her heck. That's um, well, I have actually had some email debates with one of the principals at the one in Pensacola, one of the teachers down there, because Bill Bjorker knew the guy. And when I started saying what I'm saying, even in his class, there is no physical location on the face of the earth that's going to get you closer to God. That's what I, my claim I made. There's no holy ground anymore. There's no holy ground, there's no holy building, there's no holy place. All right, the book of Hebrews should settle that. And so I wrote, I said that, I said that this guy's name was Michael Brown that I emailed. He's written a bunch of books. And his response was that this is a theophany. In other words, they're saying that God's doing now what he did in the Old Testament at Sinai. And that this Pensacola church is like the new Sinai, or the, the burning bush. And that it is true that it is a physical location, and it is true that God came here, and it is true that you need to come here to get that close to God, like Moses did at Sinai and at the burning bush. That was his claim. That is the claim they're making. Now, I don't believe that for one second. And he says, well, how do you know God isn't going to do that? He did it before. Well, for one thing, he was establishing the Old Covenant. Uh, this article on divination is going to talk about this, by the way. God stays in control of how and where, you know, what terms can come to him. And how he'll work. For example, in divination, when I was doing this research, all forms of divination are forbidden in the Old Testament. Except lots, the Urim and Thummim, and dreams. And so then I have to deal with these exceptions. What do the exceptions mean? You know, the, the high priest had those stones on his... Yeah. And then the lots, they had types of... They divided the land by lots. And the lots probably were stones that represented each of the tribes. And you drew them out of the hat, so to speak, and your lot was the Lord's decision where you went. And so now I have to integrate into my thesis 
these exceptions in the Old Testament because what the false teachers do is they take those exceptions to mean that there are thousands of other exceptions we don't know about and that we can still do it today. And so what I'm suggesting is this. Why did God use the lots in the Old Testament? Because he's told them to do that. In other words, God is in control of how he's going to meet us and through what means. And he forbade all these methods. And he says, however, when, when you come into the land, you will divide up the land by lots. And it says in a proverb, the, the lot is the decision of the Lord. And so because God ordained that, when they did it faithfully, in faith, in obedience, God used that because he said he would. All right? They weren't going out on their own thinking up some way that they could divide or plumb God's knowledge by using divination. Now, the last incident of using lots was found in Acts chapter 1, just before the day of Pentecost, where they did the same thing to choose Matthias. And then you never hear about it again, because once the Holy Spirit comes and you're in the, in the establishment of the church, there are no lots. They're not ordained in the New Covenant. So we can't cast lots and, and be assured that that's the knowledge of the Lord now, because it's not a method he's approved. Okay, so what's important is that we come to God on his terms, not what God could use if he decided to. And, that, and that's a fallacious argument. And so they're saying, well, if God can come down on Mount Sinai and meet Moses and do many miracles, why can't God come down in Pensacola? Well, I'm not saying that there's something about God's nature that keeps him from being able to do this. I'm just saying that that's what he, he hasn't told us that. He hasn't given us that freedom. He's he, warned us against people coming and saying, I'm the anointed one. That's yeah. explicitly warned us. Yeah, we're warned us not to listen to people like that. And, and what we're pointed to is this high priest who went into the heavens. Amen. And you get near to God by going to him. You don't go near to God going to Smithton or Pensacola or Toronto. There's no, there's no place you can go that's nearer to God. You could be in the worst God, godless, wicked, pagan, nasty, horrible place in the face of the earth. You could be in the middle of Iran, in the bottom of a prison, and God can meet you. Right. That happened to Daniel Shiesta that we had on, on the radio. Daniel Shiesta was in a prison, condemned to die, with nothing but a little crack of light coming through. And happy to see a cockroach because he had visitors. And um, reading with the Quran to read. They gave him the Quran to read before he died. Alright? So when you're going to die, you better make peace with God. Here's the Quran. Read it. And he read it and decided that Islam was false. Because there were irrational claims in the Quran. And he met the Lord Jesus. He got out of prison miraculously later and met Christ. So you can't go somewhere where you can get away from God. And you can't go somewhere where you're going to get closer to him. Except for the throne of grace, where he entered in once for all. He ever lives to make intercession for us. So, back to our text. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted at all things as we are, yet without sin. The Bible claims that he is sinless. Uh, Noel, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Pat, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And Artis, 1 John 3, 5. 1 John 3, 5. And then I'll read the verse that we're going to start with next week because it certainly fits in with the one we have now. So in he Isaiah fifty three four and five. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole. With his stripes we are healed. Yes, that was what Jesus went through to become this merciful high priest for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He knew no sin. That's reiterated. Christ is not a sinner. <laughs> There's no sin in him. 1 John 3, 5. Do you know that he appeared in order to take away sin? And in him there is sin. He appeared to take away sins. He came. I mean, it appeared meaning he, he was manifest on the same bodily in the face of the earth to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. That Jesus is sinless is plain throughout the New Testament. Let me read the verse we're going to start with next week. This is the therefore. Because we are encouraged that we have a high priest who does sympathize with our weaknesses, this is what we should do. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Oh, amen. There's, there's your means of grace. There's where you go. Amen. Go, you don't have to go to, as we said earlier, you don't have to go to the, some big cathedral. You don't have to go to Pensacola. You don't have to go waste airplane tickets flying around looking for God. You go to the throne of grace and you can't get any closer to God than that. Amen. So, and the good thing about this is it means we can't sell it. They don't need us. I mean, God uses people, but we don't have any unique thing. Uh, we can only just offer what God offers freely to everybody, which is the gospel. So, God bless you. Thank you. What a delightful discussion.